Welcome to the Intentionist Podcast, where we explore the interplay between intuition, spiritual health, and everything in between. I'm your host, Amy Schreiber. And I'm Hilary Zwallen. Our intention is to create a dialogue that inspires you to consciously forge your path with curiosity and compassion for life and its mysteries. Today, Amy chats with blogger and women's circle enthusiast, Letty Cooper, about the power of women gathering and speaking their truths. They discuss the history and the future of this movement and the specifics of leading and attending women's circles. Letty shares her experiences with vulnerable truth speaking through both her circles and blog and reveals how she overcomes fear and the unexpected consequences of sharing her inner world with others. Something I think we can all relate to on some level, right? They conclude with a brief foray into the world of blending herbal teas and the properties of different plants. Letty was born and raised in the middle of the tent revival religious era by a mother whose houses, jobs, and interests changed with the wind. This has given her a wide range of curiosity that she's expanded on to seek out her own personal truths in the areas that have come to define her. She is constantly refining her own religious practices in an effort to own her beliefs and know why she follows them. For a few years now, she's been diving deep into personal development and how that can be shared with others. Not only is she impassioned to help others heal their souls, but also their bodies. She's recently been practicing with herbal remedies and natural treatments in an effort to live as clean as possible. Letty currently lives in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and is an online blogger at simplesoulliving.com. That's S-I-M-P-L-E-S-O-U-L-I-V-I-N-G.com. And without further ado, Letty and Amy. Letty, thank you so much for talking with me today. Let's just dive right in. You have an amazing blog post about how you originally didn't feel like you really liked or connected with girls and you went from that to being one of the best facilitators of female space as far as women's gathering women's only cafe that I've ever met so can you talk to me about the kind of unpacking that went on to get from that previous position to where you are now mm-hmm. well to give you the details on that entire process would absolutely take days so. <laughs> But just to put it in a simpler form, I can say that it was definitely a journey that I needed to reconnect with my own softness and um, the feminine kind of tenderness inside that I had guarded and put behind some very big walls just from becoming jaded and having deep wounds. Um, So by reconnecting with that softness, I was able to come into this new space. And instead of dealing with the emotional wounds and traumas that went all the way back to childhood, which is what I've been unpacking, I relied more on my masculine characteristics and traits uh, to keep me strong. 
I have a very do-it-yourself attitude, and it's not my first instinct to ask for help when it's needed. So things like this took over, and I began to collect wounds throughout life and buried them, and they tend to fester when not dealt with. So it's amazing how often we're told to have this brave face, just smile, get over it, don't be a baby. Mm -hmm. But when you really get into unpacking yourself and dealing with your wounds, facing your pains and securities, and finding your true nature inside, that is the bravest thing anyone can do. And it is the only thing in my experience that actually helps you get over it in any real sense of the word so right so now and now you've found that like the magic that happens when women are gathered together in supportive relationships that was something that you just didn't feel like you really needed beforehand it was something I didn't know existed yeah I didn't know I needed it until I fell into one and it was purely by accident moving here to a new place I needed to develop friendships and connections. And I had this invite to this strange group. And at first I was a little like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what this was is uh-huh. and or what it was going to be. And that's when I went in very hard and very closed off. And when it came to sharing, I was completely superficial with some kind of basic lines about myself. And I wasn't willing to open up to this mm-hmm. group of women. I didn't understand that kind of trust and vulnerability. And I didn't know what it would do for me. So... We will come back to the trust and vulnerability (laughs) part. But first, can you talk to me a little bit more about this kind of movement at large of women gathering together in groups and this kind of return to to tribal practices? I've heard it called rewilding or awakening, whatever we call it. It's this spectacular thing that I've seen going on and, and become a part of. So what do you think is is behind this and what do you think will come out of it? That is a big, big question. (laughs) I actually love the ritual interplay between women, and I really love seeing it surface through our patriarchal social structure. Ironically, it was in full swing, even under heavy patriarchal rule in in past generations. Women worked together in the villages to rear the children, make the home, and tend to the crops and animals. Historically, women gathered in menstrual huts and tents to provide a safe space for their flow and connection to self as the creator and to the earth. And the gathering of women to connect, bond, and share emotions and physical flows and changes is as old as time. But its acceptance and place in mainstream culture is just returning. They say, and I'm not fully sure on this one, but it's what I've read in psychology books, Mm -hmm. that women tend to identify themselves through the lens of their relationships, their body, nature, and sex. I think this is a very broad way of looking at it, but when you break it down, you can see many of our motivators come from these uh, basic foundations. Um, It's just kind of built into our biological makeup. This part of us has been shunned and silenced throughout time as we were taught that our monthly bleed was something gross and painful instead of sacred and powerful. We were taught our sexuality was perverse and we were labeled either nuns or whores. We were told our bodies were not good enough, slim enough, curvy enough, too tall, too wide. And even our relationships with each other, women with women, they became distorted through this perverted belief that women are enemies, that we must fight each other to keep getting to the top. And I mean, how many times have men say they like a good cat fight? It's sexy. There's nothing <laughs> sexy about yeah. that. No. The, the drama, the division, the cattiness, backstabbing, jealousy, these are the building blocks that we're being sold to construct our social groups, women 
and with mm-hmm. women. And I mean, how many teenage movies are out there right now that feature mean girls and the right. underachiever having to win against them? This is literally being developed by our society. And I feel that somewhere within the 60s and 70s, there was this cataclysmic shift, this kind of paradigm shift in consciousness and cultural interactions. It was a time of massive uncertainty with the Vietnam War, the fall of the 50s housewife, and this rise in feminine intellectualism. And then there was a deep seed of rebellion that was brewing amongst the youth through music and art and became a fight against the confines of societal roles and political power. In our world of instant gratification, things which obviously need to change seem to be taking forever. Why are we not living in a fully egalitarian society? It's 2018, for God's sake. (laughs) But if we really look at these processes throughout time, the 50s, 60s, 70s, we're just a blip in this whole homo sapien timeline. Mm -hmm. So the changes that we've been making in this last century... They're revolutionary. They're incredibly fast if you really take into perspective all that humanity has been through. So for us to sit now and think, why hasn't this changed since the 60s? Mm. Well, the 60s weren't that long ago, (laughs) just when you put it in perspective. So I believe that through that change, through that evolutionary process that has actually been very recent, then we brought into this heavy feminist push. And that Mm. definitely fell more into the late 80s and throughout a lot of the 90s. And particularly starting in my generation, the Gen Y generation, we started switching from instead of we wanted equality with men, but we didn't want to be men. Mm-hmm. So there's originally when feminism started surfacing, it was this fight of equality. And that's when they started drafting women and part putting women in these very masculine roles. And I think throughout the last 25, 30 years, we're starting to find that balance of feminism as not being men, but having a level playing field with men mm-hmm. because as women, we're actually stronger when we embrace our femininity and we're better when we're not forced into a male configuration to succeed. We are downright a terrifying force when we band together to do things. And I truly believe that humanity has always known this. And what better way to control half the world's population than to have us all believe our strengths are our weaknesses. And to pit us against each other, yeah, too, absolutely. like you were saying. Absolutely. It allows a patriarchal society to exist without much confrontation. Mm-hmm. And as women, I don't believe confrontation is our first reaction in situations. Um, we, we tend to want to discuss, not everyone, I, I realize I'm generalizing here, but it is much easier to have us believe that these things that we use to get through conflict and through life are actually weak and not the better way to do it. And in mm-hmm. that way, they, we don't actually usurp this kind of societal positioning that we've been put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this continues, you had asked me how I see this kind of shaping the way we're going. I believe and truly hope that the awakening to this feminine divine to our actual worth and inner truth and power will finally bring about change in countries and religions that still see women as property, as worthless and less than a man. I would love to believe that one day we can reach that egalitarian utopia of the sexes where we can each shine in our strengths and concede to our differences. 
that would be ideal. Yeah, I hope so too. And that's a beautiful vision. So you spoke a little bit to this. How does ritual, you briefly mentioned the divine feminine and in the circles, the one that you and I are involved in, we use a bit of ritual as part of our what am I looking for? <laughs> As Grounding. Part of, yes. Yes. So, so how does that play a role, you think, overall with these groups of women? Ritual's a funny term. I actually, I, I wrote an entire post for ritual on my blog because I think that it's something that's misunderstood. Depending on what circle you come from, ritual can be a religious term uh, mm. or it can be a spiritual term at at the least, but I believe ritual is just a beautiful word for ceremonial tradition or habit. Mm -hmm. It is something that grounds your actions and beliefs in whatever way you need it to be. The church has used ritual for thousands of years to solidify their role in life. And rituals do not have to be elaborate or even feel very sacred. Rituals can be created by the person who needs them to serve the intent that they need it for. Whatever you've given a ritual to now has more power and a deeper hold in your life. So I firmly believe that if you're looking to integrate something into your life. And, and I'm not speaking in the way of, I want to integrate smoothies in my morning. That's where mm -hmm. a habit would be separate from a ritual. But if you really want to integrate something within a belief system, a knowing and an inner habit of peace or well-being, then ritual helps to do that. Whether you, it's burning incense or even opening a window and you're letting in the fresh air, it can be something very simple, but just anything that allows you to connect with the experience or the change that you're trying to create on the inside and giving it a tangible representation on the outside. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that, that reminds me of how in The Little Prince, the book, they talk about ritual in there and they say, I think it's the fox, the magical little fox says that ritual is what makes one moment different from another moment, mm. what one, one day different from another day. So it's, so it's not necessarily this elaborate thing. It's just this thing you do that marks your intention to connect with something or to just do something different than what you did a moment before. So... Exactly. I love the simplicity of ritual. Yeah. So this movement of women gathering together, what do you think that it means for men? What kind of role can they play in supporting and facilitating what's going on? Like, I always, I, I, I forget to think about the men often, like in this. <laughs> in women's work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I, I often wonder, like, what's your opinion on on that? Do you have thoughts on that? I actually do. I recently watched a documentary, I think it was on YouTube, that was covering matriarchal societies that are growing in Africa. And when they went through and interviewed men, it was amazing the different perspectives they they, they gave. What I love about thinking through these things is there's no right answer. Mm -hmm. It is so individual. It is not only individual within a culture, it's individual man to man. So in Africa, some men were infuriated. They feel like it is the fall of their country, that women are incapable of leadership roles. And if they are given too much power, that they can actually turn the country on its head. And they're incredibly I would say fearful, fearful yeah. of, of this change because it forces them to make a change, whether it's an actual change in how they live or a change in how they think. But then here in more of a westernized culture, 
I talk to a male friend of mine all the time about this work, and I have had him say, can't you do something like this for men? And I'm like, no, but you can. Yeah. (laughs) It needs to be facilitated by someone who understands you. And therefore, I don't think a woman can lead uh, a men's inner movement. So I'm not entirely sure what it will do for men, what it will mean for men. But I do hope that it means they can allow their masculine to rest and find a balance with their own feminine energies. I believe when people come into balance with our own two sides, our yin and our yang, we become the best versions of ourselves. The masculine, too, has been wounded by its preference over Mm. time. And men have been forced to suppress their emotions, their own tender connectivity and relationships, not just with women, but also with other men and with friendships. And it is also destroyed their connection with the earth and with nature. It's become too restricted or even closed down completely. I believe that in many ways, this disconnect with our bodies and the planet is what is now causing the death of the natural world as we know it. We've buried our feminine because she was labeled weak and insufficient and not capable in a man's world. And I can only dream of what life could be like if we found that balance between strength and softness, which allows us to walk in deep connections with people, with the planet, with ourselves, but Mm. still have this inner strength and confident and resilience. And you have that balance between your inner masculine and feminine. So just as what it is doing in the world of women, I hope it is reflected also in the world of men. Right. Yeah. That's a great point that it's about the balance. It's not that one is better than the other. Like we both need this, the strength. We both need the receptivity, like it all works together. And if men, yeah, I, I was just thinking, I was trying to visualize like men sitting around in a circle, like how we do. <laughs> and it was it a would take thought. a special group of men, yes. but they're out there and we all have that within us, that uh-huh. capability to open up and be vulnerable is within us. I actually think we are luckier because we have less to work through. I mean, women were always told we were soft, Men have always been told to be hard, and it is a lot harder to work through that tough exterior than it is for us to just work through this kind of negative image that's been thrown on our mm-hmm. softness. We're already there. Yeah, I think they you might be right. That, yeah. The whole, the whole idea that the patriarchal structuring of society has been just as bad, if not worse, for men as it has been for women, I think is, is overlooked Often. Yeah, I think ultimately, once we reach that balance, there won't be nearly so much a need for, yes, we need this women's only group. It Mm -hmm. can be both genders coming together and all and happening together. And there's the balance. That is that utopian society, a men and women's circle sitting together where each one can hold that space and understand the emotional balance of the other. That's idyllic. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Me I think too. it can happen. I, think I it believe can. it can. I think our world is going that direction. We, we are coming to a time where no one needs to usurp the other. We don't need this control. And I think governments are teaching us that mm-hmm. and getting us to a point where we don't want those kind of limitations on who we can be. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so can you give a brief overview about the circles and spaces that you're involved in, like for women who are curious and maybe want to start their own circle, can you give kind of like an order of events for, for one of these gatherings? Certainly. 
First off, I would say you really need to be committed to the inner growth and to that self-exploration, not as a member. If you're trying it out, go out, try it out. That's fine. But if you're deciding that you want to start this in your own city or hometown or even neighborhood, you need to know that you are going to be required to be the strength in that group at the beginning. Um, I personally am involved in a weekly, a bi-weekly, and a monthly. And the monthly circle is the one that we're in together, and I hold it at my home, so it is kind of a basic concept. You do need a place to hold this gathering, but it can be at a park, it can be um, at a playground, a church, a community center, doesn't actually have to be in your home. I've heard of women holding these in many different spaces. But then you also want to consider the topics that you're going to provide to these women. You want to dive into things that are written with healing and self-realization and advancing personal growth in mind. Uh, the topics can be super practical, like learning to love your physical body and the awesomeness that is you, or they can get incredibly deep uh, as you examine core pillars of personalities and belief systems. The idea is that you create a safe and supportive space for everyone to be heard and seen on their own journeys. I would also say be sure to make sure that you don't put too much of yourself in it. This needs to be a neutral space that everyone can relate to, where if you're always coming from that kind of ego-driven, I'm going to help, I'm going to lead, mm -hmm. you're going to find that everyone's not going to relate to you. So my biggest challenge anytime I'm coming up with a topic for people to look through is to make sure that I'm not in that topic. It's going to be something that I'm exploring myself so I can speak with some sort of understanding on it. But you really want to make sure that you're as relatable as possible and keeping your own ideas out of it, presenting more of a broad concept so that each woman can discover her own connection to the theme or topic and not be driven. Another big point to say is to n make it very clear from the beginning that these are not circles of advice. A woman cannot stand and grow on her own if she's always being told what to do and how to do it. And even with the most well-intentioned advice, advice is telling someone how you think they should do something mm -hmm. or fix something. And then the woman is not capable of coming to those answers on her own. The entire point of circle is to hold space. And that is kind of a new term being thrown around a lot lately. Mm -hmm. But all that means is to be the observer and the listener. That's all holding space is. It does not mean you need to give them a hug. It does not mean that you need to provide them with answers. It is simply, I'm here for you. What do you need to say? And how do you need to say it? And I will not judge you. I will not tell you what to do. And when women come into this, they're allowed to safely process things in a very vulnerable manner and know that no one's going to share this outside of that space. No one is going to confront them. There, mm -hmm. There's not going to be any need to defend yourself. You simply have an outlet to process things. And then if you want advice, you can go privately up to someone outside of the group, of the gathering, and ask then in a more individualized manner. Mm -hmm. So those are the big ones. And... Definitely set your boundaries. Cir circles and running any sort of gathering allows you to create 
strong boundaries for each woman, even or man, if men want to start their own circles, definitely put in place a safe set of rules so that each person knows the lines of we don't talk when someone else is talking that that doesn't help their flow. I mean, they they could be processing in that moment Mm -hmm. things that are coming out that they didn't even realize. So I definitely would say keep your boundaries, set your rules, try to pull as much of yourself out of it as possible. And also consider topics. I did want to touch on this a little bit just because there are two different, well, I'm sure there are many different types, but in my experience, two very different types of gatherings. There's one that is more dedicated to bringing people into these concepts and ideas and showing them what this process looks like. So you are an entry circle. And that's what I was brought into. I felt very safe because the topics were deep, but not, didn't require me to divulge what I felt at the time were secrets, things mm-hmm. that kept me separate from other people. And that space needs to be given to women because we don't all jump into this work ready to just share our innermost right. beliefs. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, you, you want to consider, am I opening this up to my entire community and am I going to create ways and topics and themes for people to come in and open up just a little bit? Or do I want to get a private group together that develop connections and friendships and dive deep into personal issues that are going to require a deep sense of vulnerability? Mm -hmm. So you want to look at the two sides because both are very necessary. And I'm still involved in the first one and also running the deeper one. So I I see the place for both of these. Those are really important points. So just for listeners who are curious, in, in one of an example circle might look like everyone shows up, then what happens? Ah, the full process. Yeah. Um, Just I like brief. to give yeah. a little bit of time for people to show up and socialize, mm-hmm. kind of develop that rapport, especially if you're running a circle that's open and you have new members coming in. You want people to have that moment to kind of decompress. You don't know where they're coming from. Are they coming from work or a crazy household or a fight with their partner? You really want to give an opening time to decompress and let people feel into what they're about to go into. Mm -hmm. And when you finally have everyone seated, the entire reason it's developed the term circle is they do sit in a circle. Uh You do not need to call this a circle. It can be called a gathering or a group, just putting that out there. But you do want people to sit in a circle because it develops kind of an equality and balance where each person can see the other. I personally love to start with an opening meditation. It does not have to be elaborate. It can simply be, let's breathe for two full minutes. But if you want to do a guided meditation or a musical meditation, anything to bring down that energy to a very calm and rooted place. And then I like to ask if everyone has read through the contemplation, if there are questions about the contemplation, just so now we can refocus our minds onto the topic at hand. And then I open up the floor. I do not like starting. I don't believe that circles 
or gatherings have leaders. So I really want things to be as organic and natural as possible. I personally use a large crystal as a kind of talking stick. I've been to others that use floral crowns, but anything to kind of delegate a speaker. And this sounds crazy because you're like, well, we can not interrupt somebody. It's not just the point of interruption. It's something that represents the floor is open more than the floor is closed. Mm -hmm. By putting that item in the center of the circle, each person knows that it is, they have that open space to speak. If you see it there, it is an invitation for you to share. And I think that's important to have. So I generally put the crystal in the middle and I wait. And it's very interesting process when you sit in silence and wait Mm -hmm. for someone to pick it up. And sometimes you wonder, is someone going to pick it up? (laughs) (laughs) But someone always does. I've never sat in one where nobody (laughs) begins to speak. And then each person has their time and they put whatever you're using back in the middle when they're done. And it's this great signifier of I've spoken, I've purged my emotional state at the moment. And as that goes around, once you've finished, I think it's also important to do that meditation again, which just brings that energy back down. You're grounding the energy that was built up through the sharing process. After that, women are welcome to leave. But I also really enjoy kind of a social setting afterwards. In my particular group, we do snacks and treats and teas and um, just anything to kind of socialize and allow that settling in that you just were really vulnerable, but now you can put yourself back into this guarded safe pocket before you go back out into the world. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the basic breakdown, but you can be as creative as you want. And there's actually a lot on the web. I will say before I started this process, I got online. I was like, how do I start a circle? And I read so many amazing articles dedicated to this. So if you're really curious, I would say, get out there, take a look. You can start with what we've said here, but find your own comfort level, your own little niche. Uh, The one that I go to bi-monthly is dedicated to chocolate. Mm -hmm. So we have chocolate every time we go. And I I love that. I love that little quirk about it. And it's her own personal spin because she lives a life dedicated to cacao. So Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely personalize it however you feel comfortable. Yeah, I love, I mean, what you were saying in the beginning about how you didn't even realize this type of thing was available, like was possible. And I didn't really either. Like I, I kind of, I mean, I never felt strongly like, no, I don't want to have female friends. Like I always did, but like (laughs) the idea that women could come together who don't even know each other, but like provide that space of sharing was this revolutionary thing to, to experience. Like I would definitely recommend that everyone try something along those lines, like to, to see what, what it does for you and your feelings. And like, it's, it's been really, really awesome and helpful for me personally. I do think that, at least I'll speak for myself, my desire for connection, like deeper intimate connections with people is growing and I've realized, and I think people at large are realizing that it requires vulnerable sharing to to do that. You have to be honest and, and truthful about it. So tell me about the power of speaking your truth 
and what it's done for you through these groups and through your blog. You have a really amazing blog out there now. Thank you so much. Yeah, sharing your truths, it does more than I had expected it to. I can say that. I think the biggest for me has been the full realization that I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. So often we have these fears and struggles and emotions and we feel isolated in them because we've been told not to share them. That is not a, a natural way of existing in our current society. You don't go around and tell people these, these deep things that you're struggling with. So when it came to truly speaking my own truth and putting it out there in a vulnerable way, I was so pleasantly relieved to find it reciprocated in other women in that they're going through the same problems, different situations, different stories, of course, but at the root, we are all human and mm -hmm. it is so easy to say, but you don't actually connect to that concept until you get into that vulnerable state of sharing something that most of us have never even spoken out loud. And then you put it out there and realize that the woman sitting directly across from you is sharing that same struggle. And for me, that has given me this enormous sense of power and confidence to go through this. We may not be going through the same thing together and sharing that experience, but we are going through it side by side. Mm -hmm. And somehow that really just gave me an immense amount of courage to continue on this journey because no matter how disturbing my depths feel, mm -hmm. um, the dark waters aren't new. I'm not developing this new problem, <laughs> like, which is really kind of comforting to know. Um, well, that's what it feels like often. Like you discover something dark and scary under there and you're like, wow, I must be like this bad, horrible, insane person that this has never happened to before. I think that's like one of the biggest pitfalls that you like jump into first in those situations. So yes, I think that's huge. One of my favorite circle leaders said, you know, you're in circle when you've questioned your insanity. <laughs> <laughs> and she's absolutely right. Because you start digging into these things and you're like, I am absolutely nuts. <laughs> and then you're like, no, I'm not. I'm just human. Um, the other one I really, I was kind of shocked to realize because I, I feel I'm a very strong person whose opinions tend to kind of slide off of me. Mm -hmm. But there is a fear when you get into this level of sharing of not being liked, of not being understood. Like, what are they going to think about me? What if they're all talking about me? But what I have found that kind of renewed my faith in interpersonal relationships with other women is that it's not that they dislike you. They actually respect your honesty and your courage. And I think that's shown when other women reciprocate. They don't need to come up to you afterwards and say, wow, that was really brave of you to share that. Although sometimes you will get that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's you, you see that in their reciprocation on when they share their own feelings. And we all realize that we can't judge anyone in this process. So you're actually not disliked. You grow closer through this sharing and that is their story and their need to self-correct it and your story and your need to self-correct it. And I just really enjoy that. If someone dislikes you, um, if you do run into that, I just want to throw this out there because it has definitely happened. It happened to me in one of my first circles. I realized that the boundary of a secure space and not taking these words out into the world was broken. Oh. And it, 
it was a weird one for me because I so loved the work I was in, but at the same point, it sent me backwards Mm -hmm. going, this is what I expected. But what I had to realize was that whole mirror idea that this was not someone who was disliking me. They were disliking themselves and that my sharing was bringing up something within them. And they're just not in this right point on their journey to deal with it just yet. And Mm -hmm. I know that they will get there, but this took some processing on my own to realize that when we come into these conflicts in life where we are not approved of or disliked or even ridiculed, don't ever look at that as your own truth. Another person's words can't be your truth. That's their truth about you. And their truth is coming from their own set of problems and things that they're working through. And we all get there at some point. Right. So. Really important to remember. That's a great <laughs> learning that came <laughs> out of challenge. that potentially really horrible, horrible situation. <laughs> it was uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but it, it sounds all like resolved it. itself. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so was that were those the most unexpected results you had from putting yourself out there in a vulnerable way? Or did other things surprise you? I wouldn't say many surprises as far as what's come out of it in a group way. I've had a ton of surprises almost daily. What's come out of myself, my own potential that's been uncovered areas that I thought were weaknesses that were actually strengths, things that I thought I wasn't good at, but I am. And through this work, it's actually turned around my entire Um, job and self-dedication in a daily practical way, I have now focused more of my writing into this kind of self-exploration and self-discovery niche. And it's also impacted how I live. I I realized through all of this how I wanted to be closer to the earth and closer to natural practices and how different things And though I'm on the computer all day, modern technology can Mm -hmm. really bother me. So different ways that I need to cut off, different ways that I need to um, feed myself both spiritually and physically. It's affected how I eat. It affected how I interact with people. It affected my online work. And just by gaining deeper insight into myself, it showed me a way to live that made me a lot happier and more fulfilled. So that's beautiful. That is a beautiful thing to come out of circle and yeah. gatherings. Yeah, that's that's hopeful. That's hopeful because I specifically have a very strong aversion to speaking my truth out loud to people, and I'm getting a lot better at it. But for people who, especially, I think that's many people who don't want to share their deep parts, and especially if you're trying to be like in an intimate, like love relationship with someone, like a marriage or something you like it can't be done without it like how many times have you been in a relationship with someone and it wasn't quite right and as soon as you said like voiced your true feelings about it suddenly you're like wait I feel closer to to you than ever I mean we're about to break up now but because of it but it's like (laughs) this this sense of intimacy that comes that is truly transformative but can look so scary from the other side. I'm I'm baffled by like how scary it seems, but how in reality it it's not. You know, it causes nothing but positive change. Mm-hmm. Like there should be no cause for alarm about this stuff. How how do you how have you handled like coming up against this fear of of sharing? Like any strategies? Absolutely. But I wanna say when you talk about you finally share with someone. And even if you're about to break up, you feel closer than ever. 
this just shows that it's your truth. And truth does not always yield the pretty thing. Mm-hmm. But it does Important. yield the better thing. So breaking up was probably in your best interest if you told your truth and you still broke up because that's what you needed. But I think the reason we're scared of it is when you give raw truth to yourself and to the world, it's unpredictable and you cannot control the outcome. Mm-hmm. We control the outcome quite often by giving these little white lies, smoothing over things. And so we don't live in our pure and honest truth. So when we attempt to do that, it is a scary thing because it means that you're going to just have to allow the chips to fall where they may, but you're going to stand in your own truth. And I think that is terrifying. Yeah, that's a really important point. It is it is giving up your sense of control about the situation. You're not trying to manipulate it anymore. You're just Absolutely. trying to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that is where the, the fear factor comes into it. Um, but as far as strategies to overcome that, first off, everything gets easier the more you do it. So the more you live in your truth and the more you see the positive outcome comes through it, even if on the outside, it looks like a terrible thing. When you come through something awful and know that you stood in your truth the whole time, you do not feel terrible about it. You may feel sad that it happened, but with that understanding that it was for your highest self and for your good, it allows you to get through these moments in life with less pain, with less struggle. So I try to keep reminding myself of this and that this work is for me, that the opinion of others don't matter and that you need to share in order to bring the light outside within. It's that kind of open door. And you also are probably going to help someone else who is listening or watching your life as an example. Um, I've never listened to the deep stirrings of someone else without picking up some nugget of wisdom for myself. And I've also learned to do my deepest sharing in safe places first. That is key when you're getting into the vulnerable work of kind of purging and getting that healing within. You want to make sure that wherever you're sharing that, it is a safe environment. My mother used to always tell me, do not cast your pearls before swine. I'm fairly sure that is a biblical scripture somewhere, but if it's not, it is a very relevant point in this particular conversation because when you throw something out there in the wrong environment, you may get the wrong result and that can close down your vulnerability and your openness from there on out. So definitely be wise with who you're sharing these things. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you'll realize how to share your truth in a way that is not going to destroy your life because it can. If we just walked around and said everything that was on our minds, (laughs) exactly how we felt it at that moment, you could offend unlimited amount of people, but just be wise in your sharing. It's, what is it? Listen twice as much as you talk. Yeah. Something like that. I need need to learn that one. (laughs) But yeah, I would say mostly just turning off that inner critic. Just don't care how it's received. Do what's best for you. Well, I'm being selective with who you share with. That's an important thing to remember. Because, I mean, I think that does happen sometimes. People kind of get on a sharing rampage and it does become a rampage. 
just based on the way it's delivered and the and who they're spewing all their inner world onto, you know. I also want to make a point because I've made this mistake starting out on this journey. You may be sitting with someone who absolutely is a safe space and a safe person to share with, but you also when when you're getting into verbally spewing as you put it, though we all need it at times, mm-hmm. make sure the other person is in the space to receive it. Because I've gone to friends and I've just opened my mouth and started dumping without ever taking into account their kind of current emotional state. Are they ready to be receptive? Are they in a place to hold space? Because we get in times in our lives where we are incapable of holding space for others because we are holding way too much for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're going through something internal, external, but really pay attention when you need to do those deep shares to the atmosphere around you and make sure that that person that you're sharing with, even though it is a completely safe place to put that emotion and that baggage, if you will, um, that they're a willing receptor of that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's important. And and in a place of awareness themselves that they are not going to take all of your stuff and internalize it into themselves because there is Absolutely. that danger as well. It's hugely dangerous. But yeah, with, with awareness and with... The, general thoughtfulness between everyone. Yes. I think all that's. I have a friend that is great at letting you know. I I can go into something and she's like, I cannot do this right now. That's so valuable. She's brilliant. She's actually the initial leader that I got into circle with and sharing with her is such an amazing experience because she is very honest with where she's at. And she's the only person that's ever asked me, do you want me to just listen? or Are you looking for a response? And I really appreciated that because I had to think it through. And I looked at her and I was like, no, I just want you to listen. She goes, okay, go on. Wow. That's, that's huge awareness. Pretty, (laughs) yeah, that's pretty big because I think, yeah, think of every relationship that you are in with another human being. If that is said before topics are discussed, how different things can be. Absolutely. That's a really good act of communication. (laughs) I really appreciate her awareness and communication, and I learn from her constantly. (laughs) So you have been running, I mean, you're on a quick break right now, but you've been running a women's only tea cafe. Yes. And you have these ridiculously amazing herbal tea blends, and you've written these like amazing descriptions and origin stories and stuff on in your menu about them which I believe you should turn into a book someday. But <laughs> Thank you. beyond that, what what is your favorite kind of herbal blend lately and, and why? Okay, this is a funny question. <laughs> if you had asked me a week ago, I could have given you something really elaborate, but I have been on this green tea kick. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. It's very simple, but I throw in a vanilla, a splash of vanilla almond milk and a spoon of honey, and it is unbelievably soothing. Mm-hmm. That being said, though it has been my go-to for almost a week, I've been working like crazy. And when I blend a tea, it does require a little five-minute break. So last night, I did take the time. And I look over my herbs, and I often just try to determine what I'm feeling. I very rarely use my own recipes, even though that's what I offer at the oh, cafe. Really? <laughs> yeah, I very rarely go with them all mix up. So last night, I went with neem, which is one of my favorite green 
bitters mm-hmm. and I typically choose a green bitter as a base. And then I added to that marigold, French rose, um, orange blossom and lemon verbena. Ooh. So I find lemon, anything lemon, citrus in general, but I prefer lemons. They tend to kind of neutralize the acidity of whatever green I'm using as a base. And florals are something that I only choose when I need to be soft and kind of stop. And last night I'd finished a very full day and I was doing some inner work and florals just kind of fit the bill. But I strongly recommend neem to anyone. I strongly recommend bitter greens in general, neem, nettle, uh, moringa. Typically, these are your antivirals, antibacterials, antifungals. These are more of your powerhouse, medicinal powerhouses in the plant world. And then florals are great because florals are typically your emotional powerhouses. They're what can bring you down. Some of them are sedatives. Um, Almost every floral has some sort of calming effect, so that's really nice. And it's easy to remember as well because when we look at flowers, we're typically in that state of mind. So, And then don't forget to experiment with different barks. Um, Bark very rarely has a flavor, although when mixed with its own green, it can be highly astringent. So keep that in mind. But yeah, barks are usually neutral, but carry a lot of different properties and can be soothing for the stomach or like diverticulitis, things like that. So definitely play with it. But yeah, that was last night's tea and they definitely change whenever my mood strikes which is daily. (laughs) (laughs) Well, amazing. Before we get off, why don't you tell listeners how they can reach you, what your blog website is, if you have a social media accounts that you want people reaching out through. So how can we find you? (laughs) If you want to dive into more self-exploration, I put it out there on my website, Simple Soul Living. And that is with one L uh, between soul and living. And any of my social accounts are connected to that. I am not highly active on my social accounts outside of tying in my articles. My work is definitely put into the articles themselves. But please shoot me an email or comment below the articles. Even on my Facebook page, I love the interaction with people once they read something and I am willing to go into it deeper with you, answer questions, or just hear if it helped you in any way. And I also enjoy a challenge if you want to confront the ideas. I do enjoy that because it allows me the time and space to look through them and see if there's something that I missed within myself or if I'm still standing in my own truth. Awesome. Well, thanks, Letty. I would definitely recommend everyone go read through those articles. They're amazing and beautifully written, and I thoroughly enjoy them every time (laughs) I read. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Before we part, we'd like to say thanks for listening, and we hope you'll connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We would love to hear from you and appreciate all feedback, shares, and likes. To learn more and subscribe to our newsletter, visit intentionists.com. And no matter where you are or what you're creating, we send you love and invite you to breathe and begin. See you next week.